to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. There's been uh, just this prophetic flow today from um, even before I, I got here this morning, the Lord showed me something I'd never noticed before. And in our pre-service prayer, uh, one of our, one of our uh, volunteers got a vision of Ezekiel's river from my... Uh, Ezekiel 47, and, and our first song, I don't know if you remember some of the lyrics from that first song, I've never sung that before, I love that new song, that first song, so good, wasn't it? What are, some of the lyrics were about just being like, you know, dunked in his sea of mercy, you know, it's just this, and then a lot of the things we were singing today just flowed together so well, and I believe that um, God is love, and there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. We're being perfected by his love as we're getting free of fear. If you're getting free of fear, you're getting wrecked by love. And uh, this is the most lovey-dovey day of Western culture. Culture, you know, Tomorrow, I guess, is Valentine's Day. But I think that God honors and, and enjoys these kinds of things in a holy manner, of course. Um, so I want to say happy Valentine's Day to Jesus. Uh, <clears throat> you guys probably heard of a, a guy named Bob Jones. He was a prophet that's gone to glory town. He's up in the great clouds cheering us on. And uh, I, I don't mind talking a little bit lightly about death because I know we just fall asleep and wake up in the arms of the Lord. So um, he's, he's in a very happy place right now, but he, over the years, <clears throat> came to be known as the prophet of love. And one of the major reasons is because he'd always talk about you know, God's love, but a major reason is because he was out mowing his lawn one day and died from a heart attack, stood before the Lord, and then the Lord asked him one question. He asked everyone one question, did you learn to love? And then the Lord sent him back. He, he was resurrected. I think he died twice before it actually stuck. Um, <clears throat> death is like, tef he's like Teflon to death, you know? Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, when he finally did pass and um, permanently pass uh, until the resurrection, um, it was on Valentine's Day. And uh, I just thought it was just another nod from the Lord about how much it's all about love. Um, so I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna kinda swing for the fences today with a message and, uh, about God's love and tell you some stories about encounters I've had with him and just things that I believe about his nature and I just wanna invite you into this little journey with me and it's something that God's been developing in me for a long time, but um, last month I, I found out that passenger jets have to be able to take off and land with one engine. Did y'all know this? This is crazy, right? That's crazy power, and I would not want to be one of the guests that learns this firsthand. Like, if you ever want to see a whole bunch of people like find religion real quick, it's like... Excuse me, um, <clears throat> this is your pastor speaking. I mean, your, your pilot speaking. <laughs> yeah, we're down to one engine. Um, but my flight instructor ensured me that we're going to be okay. And suddenly, like, everyone is praying, right? 
atheists and ag agnostics and prodigals are running to daddy's porch. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, one time I, I ran from the police in a pickup truck when I was uh, 17 or 18 years old. Buckle your seatbelts for this one, guys. Um, I was a little bit of a wild child. I'd love, I love the Holy Spirit like crazy, encountered God a lot, but I also just had a bone to pick with rules. And so, <laughs> and so I was speeding down this road and I see a, a police officer at an adjacent road, but he stopped behind a car and I know as soon as he can get out on that road, he's gonna come after me because I'm careening down this road in my pickup truck with three of my buddies. And I'm watching my rearview mirror, and sure enough, the police officer pulls out after me, turns on his lights, and so being the um, ignorant child that I was, I sped up, and <clears throat> there's a sign that said, road closed for floodwaters. And I thought to myself, ah, perfect. <laughs> I'm in a pickup truck, and this guy's in a car. I got this for sure. And so, <clears throat> It, this, is, this is up in Michigan, and it, it floods in mid-Michigan almost every springtime when the snows really melt, melt. And so this is the first big melt of the year, but it's still cold, bone-chillingly cold outside. And so we come up on the water, and I get a little bit hesitant, and I turn to my friends and ask them, what do you guys think? Which you should never do. <laughs> and they said, go for it, man. <laughs> And so I hit this water, <clears throat> and the water, you know, shoots up over the hood, and, and I'm cruising through this thing, and I'm about like 50 yards in, and I look back, and the police officer stops at the edge of the water, and I'm thinking, hey, hey, hey it's working. And so I'm, I'm just cruising through, cruising through, we're like listening to music, and the water gets deeper. And it's, it's coming up over the hood and like going down in the engine compartment. And I'm like, I'm starting to freak out like in my truck now. And my buddies are freaking out. Well, it gets deeper still. And now if I look out my side view mirror, I'm seeing underwater. I don't know how this is possible. I'm not a mechanic. I just believe in the Holy Ghost. And so <clears throat> it's, we're underwater and it's coming up over the windshield and water falling into the cab, like behind us, the, the, the bed behind us. And I've got three friends in the car who have all run away from the Lord and you should, you should have heard the prayers that they were praying. <laughs> that moment got them all back to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you ever prayed one of those prayers? Oh God, if you just, I know it was so stupid, but if you just get me through this, Lord, this one last time. And so the engine cuts out, and this is like, we're gonna have to get a boat and pray we don't have hypothermia level water. And um, like I said, I was 17, like we, I had my first ever flip phone. Maybe it was the Razor, y'all remember the Razor? I don't know if I'm even gonna have signal if this thing dies out in the middle of this river. And uh, the engine cuts out, goes and we all freak out. So we get in the windows and I hit the steering wheel. I was like, no God, please. And it goes and the engine kicks back in, and we're and I've just got a full throttle, you know. I just that's all I can think to do is just keep that gas pedal pounded to the floor, and we start coming up out of the water finally, like the submarine that was my Chevy S10. <laughs> 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 
and we're coming up out of the water and we're like, go, go, go. We get to dry land, dry street. God knows how long we'd been like plowing through this water. Guys, the doors of my truck bust open. We jump out and we're just dancing around this truck, just shouting and high-fiving. And right then another cop car pulls up. <laughs> and this uh, police woman, she gets out of the car <clears throat> and she says, give me your IDs. Like, did y'all go through that water? I look back at my truck and there's like a log frozen to the roof. And I'm like, yes, ma'am, we did. And uh, she took our licenses, told us to sit in the car and wait. She comes back and I'm just praying again. I've only done stupid things at this point. I'm just praying that God would overlook all of this. And um, she comes back to the window and she, I swear she's got a smirk on her face when she says, I can't believe y'all made it through that water. Don't ever disobey those road signs again. They're there for your safety and you have to obey them. Have a good night. <laughs> Let us go. <clears throat> so that, that's like one instance of the obscene favor that I had as a child and I attribute it all to my praying grandmother and mother like, y'all, the fact that I'm standing right here is a message, you know? If you're a mess like me, just let it age and it turns into a mess age, right? <laughs> y'all, that needs to be a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> if your mess isn't a mess, it's just let it age. Okay, so anyway. Um, <clears throat> oh, Lord, help us. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, like airplanes and angels, uh, God has redundancy systems in place for our lives. Like, there's a reason you would need to make sure that a plane can take off and land with only one engine is because so many lives are at stake. So wouldn't you think that God has backup plans for our lives? Wouldn't you think that he's good enough to create safety nets and divine appointments and angelic moments and, and moments where the, the wool is pulled back just long enough that you come to your senses? Wouldn't you think that God has redundancy systems in place. It's like, you know, if, if you're in a space shuttle, they have backup plans for their backup plans, backup plans, you know, because once you're up in space and like if one little wire fritzes out, you better hope that there's three or four backup wires doing the same thing, you know? It's because it, it's so important. You're, the physical life is at stake of those astronauts and the people on the airplanes. But guys, how precious are you to the Lord? Like you're your eternal life in him. He has redundancy systems in place. Open up to Ephesians 1.17. I've recently started to uh, see uh, wisdom and revelation as backup plans, as safety nets, as God's redundancy. It's almost like, well, let me just read this. Read along with me. This is one of my favorite 
prayers. You all know what apostolic prayers are? It's the prayers that the apostles prayed that made it into scripture. You can sing them. If you don't know what to pray and you don't feel like praying in, you know, in tongues, you can pray these prayers over yourself. It's powerful. So just imagine Paul. So Jesus continually lives to make intercession, right? He's living right now, praying for you, sustaining you, like rooting for you. Just like the great cloud of witnesses, Paul is praying for you. Bob Jones is looking at me. He's like my spiritual granddad saying, attaboy, Jeremy. You know, like, (laughs) there. So let me just read this prayer. Um, And just receive, like, this is a prayer for you. I'm gonna actually, uh, yeah. Start in verse 16. You don't have to flip there, but this is 16. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking or praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, or that you may know him. That the eyes of your heart or the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened or opened. Open the eyes of our hearts that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. What an incredible prayer. He's praying that we would be given wisdom and revelation first and foremost that we would know him, that we would grow in our knowledge of him. And then secondly, that we would, be com- we would have that confident hope. We would understand or know that confident hope that's been given to the saints. And that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his incomparably great power for us who believe. <clears throat> so um, I talked a little bit about how rebellious I was. It, it didn't get better um, until it did. Um, as I was coming into 18 and 19, I, I, had, um, I did really well in high school, um, well enough that my senior year, I, I spent the whole year taking college courses that were paid for by state scholarship. While I was a high schooler, I was going to the community college, which was really fun. Um, <clears throat> and I was kind of like the poster boy youth group kid. I was on track to be like a youth pastor. I was on the worship team. I was going to be a worship leader. Like my church had plans for me. And um, that was about the time that all of my pride had paved a gnarly detour in my journey. All that spiritual pride that was in me was just uh, festering. Turned 18 and, um, and I rebelled hard. I was so curious about all the things that I denied myself, you know, tasting of those years. And so, uh, the first time I took illegal drugs, uh, I had this MDMA pill in my hand, and my heart was pounding with fear. And so being a child of God, I, and like old school friend of Jesus, I talked to God with the ecstasy in my hand, and I asked the Lord, should I take this? Corey's like, what did he say? What did he say? (laughs) I actually, I took it before he could say anything. I said, should I take this? And boom, rebellion. And you know what he did? He wouldn't let me feel the effects of it. It had no effect on me. It was as if he was saying, no, 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 I've reserved you for my pleasure. 
And I was so rebellious and irritated and frustrated at God, I told my friend and my friend went and bought me another one and I took that one too, just to illustrate how stupid I was for you guys today. <laughs> um, it would be two uh, to three years of just rebelling and, and doing stupid things uh, before I had a dramatic encounter with the Lord that brought me back, brought me to my knees. I mean, the, the tears and repenting. And when I, it was as if for two years I had been under a, a delusion, almost a reprobate mind, where I had excused every encounter with God and every like worship moment I had with Jesus as just emotionalism or I wrote it off as just you know, something else, it's not, it's, it's not real. And then when I felt the Holy Spirit again, all of those memories flooded over me all at once. And I remembered, and I knew he was real. And, and when I was wondering, like the prodigal, I was wondering if he would take me back with tears in his eyes, he was shouting, welcome home. Before I could even get the words out, would you take me back, he was shouting, welcome home. But I saw the heartbreak on his face that stood out to me like nothing else. And I realized that it wasn't his rules I broke, it was his heart. And I asked him if he would just have me again. And not only uh, would he say yes to that, the next morning I woke up full of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Within three months I was leading worship for three different churches. And they, I, they would ask me to lead worship. I wouldn't seek out these roles. And they would ask me to lead worship. And I'd say, I don't think you want me to. You know, just two months ago, I was selling cocaine out of a dance club, you know, doing drugs every day. And they're like, no, 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 you're the one. <laughs> we, we want you leading worship. I don't recommend this to any church leaders out there listening. <laughs> this is just my story. So a little while uh, passed and, and, I, and I had this dream. And in the dream, I was, I was sitting in an old school kind of country church with pews, and it was, it was, a, it was full of saints and had this high steepled ceiling. And I looked up, I felt the Holy Spirit direct my eyes up, and I saw this window way up where the roof lines come together and the window open, and I began to lift and levitate. And I was going up through the window while people were like freaking out, as you can imagine, it'd be like, Oh, there goes Eric Royals. Like, you know, like it's just as clear as it is right now, this is what the dream was like. And I go through this open window and suddenly I'm sitting in this like attic room and I'm, and I'm sitting in a chair and there's a, a, a being here and a being here, like two angelic type beings. And we're sitting so close that all of our knees are touching. And um, I can't really make out their face. It's almost like it's moving and and. Um, have you guys ever seen angels before? It's you know, translucent and yet somehow uh, opaque at, at times. Anyway, um, I, I'm sitting there with these two angels and the one angel on my right says, you were supposed to go to university and seminary. And, but then I, I felt like they were smiling and I, I felt like there was a butt, like a butt in, you know, in the spirit. And... Um, Right then, both of them put their hands out and one hand entered my torso near my chest and another hand entered my head. And I felt virtue filling me, like, like just flooding my system. And they pulled their hands out and go, 
And I turn to them and I say, ask me anything. Ask me of, of physics, history. Ask me of mathematics. And they started asking me questions that were way above anything I had ever learned and I'm rattling off the questions, the answers to these questions of physics and history and all of this stuff. And I wake up from the dream covered in adrenaline, just full of adrenaline. And I hear a voice say, you just met wisdom and revelation. the contingency plan. And it's almost as if he gives us both because when our wisdom doesn't work, <laughs> he's gonna send revelation to help us. I wanna go uh, to scripture and show you some examples of this. I believe that Jesus even has our escape hatch covered. <sighs> I think that he showed us this with Peter, right? There's a moment in the garden, Jesus, he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm gonna be betrayed, and, and Peter is saying, never, like, I'll, I'll die with you, I'll die for you. And, and then Jesus prophesies over Peter. It's, you guys know, like, the, the prophecy, right? He says, before the rooster crows three times, you're, you're gonna, you're, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times. You guys know that anytime Jesus prophesies to his friends, it says that I'm telling you this so that when these things happen, you will believe. That's, that's Jesus' purpose in prophesying to his friends. Telling you this so that when you see these things come to pass, you will believe. So that moment comes and Peter denies the Lord. And, you know, he's hitting the escape hatch. I'm out. <clears throat> But that rooster crows, and it was the moment that Peter would need to carry him through what he was called to do. See, Peter went into that garden saying that I'll die for you, but he's also implying that I, I have a special devotion for you. I'm especially devoted to you above everyone else. And what he's silently saying on top of I'll die for you is he, he's silently saying I'll kill for you. And we know that to be true because he's the one that took out the sword and cut off the ear, right? And, and Peter, or Jesus stops that moment, heals the ear, rebukes Peter. And I believe that what was happening in this moment is Peter, Peter needed this deliverance. He needed, to, he needed to be delivered of thinking that he had special devotion to Jesus that would carry him. He needed to be delivered of thinking that it's okay to kill for Jesus, especially. Because he went into that garden saying, I'll, I'll die for you, I'll kill for you, and he came out of all of this saying that I'll do anything for you. He was delivered of the things he needed to be delivered of. One of the most important realizations in our life is to stop being impressed by our devotion to him and be completely enamored and gabs, gobsmacked and just overwhelmed <laughs> by his devotion to us. It's not about my devotion to him. I'm, I, what keeps me on the path is his devotion to me. Yes. Turn to Jonah. Yeah, we're going there. So the father tells Jonah, his boy, like his, his buddy. We think of Jonah as like some gnarly old angry dude. He may have been a little bit on that side, but um, that's like God's baby son. 
It's his beloved, it's his friend. So he's, God is, is telling Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. We all know the story. Uh, Jonah goes sailing instead. And he's running from God to Tarshish, which is like the other side of the known world to Jonah. He's, going, he's trying to escape God on the other side of the world. Can you put up that picture? I want to put up a picture of this map of the Mediterranean. <clears throat> so he was in Joppa. <laughs> he was in Joppa, Nineveh's right there. <laughs> And he, he goes to Tarshish. On the other side, obviously, of Spain is the mighty Atlantic, like the, the, the mystery of all mysteries. There's like, they actually believe that the, that's the drop-off of the world. That is the end of the world. So, so Jonah isn't just disobeying God and rebelling from God. He is running from God to the other side of the known planet. And he gets off sailing out, and God sends a great wind. And it says that they couldn't get back to shore I have a theory. I actually believe that wind was blowing towards Nineveh. If you look at it, it could have been. I believe God sent that wind as another mercy. Of course, yeah, it's terrifying, and he's trying to wake him up. And on top of it, when the wind was calmed, uh, that's what won over all the other boys in the boat. They all <laughs> started offering to Jonah's God. So anyway... Wisdom had failed, but here comes revelation, right? Jonah goes all suicidal, tells the men to throw him overboard. But Jonah, chapter one, verse 17, can you put this up? The Lord had what? Prepared. a great fish to swallow Jonah. The Lord prepared a fish to carry him back to his path. Y'all know that, that that fish had to be born, right? And grow. You know how long a fish has to grow to become a one-man submarine for a wandering prophet? <laughs> A one-seater submarine. <laughs> Sometime, long ago, the Lord was thinking about Jonah and caused some fish love to happen. <laughs> you guys catching this? Long enough <laughs> before, before Jonah would decide to throw wisdom out the window. Here comes revelation in the name of a great fish I've prepared to save you. This morning I noticed that both those verses we just read are verses 117. I never caught that until now. And I think it's because when you're 17, you really need to know this. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way you will win one. Anyway, um, <laughs> you guys know that the only reason people don't want to follow God is because they believe a lie about him, right? 
The only reason anyone would not want to follow this man is they believe something false about him. He is absolutely the best. I mean, I could get drunk again just thinking about all the times, all the goodness. Repenting is when you realize you had an idea about God that isn't as good as reality. It's not groveling or paying penance, it's the joy of discovering his goodness and his good will towards men. We get the joy of turning from our direction and turning from sin. It's the realization that when he, it's, it's when we realize that he never leaves that makes us never wanna leave him, right? Yes. It's the realization that he remains faithful when we go faithless that bursts and produces faith in us, right? Like that's a guy I can follow. It's the realization that he gave us freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I want you to hear this. This is a crazy thing to say, but it is actually our our realization that we are free to sin that is the starting blocks of our freedom from sin. That's how uncontrolling he is. No strings attached to this kind of love. How could you not want to follow him and give him your whole life? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Romans 2, 4, he loved us first, 1 John. He loved us first when we were the hardest to love or he loved us first when we were the least lovable. Can you put up Ephesians 2? It's one of my favorites. 2, 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. How could you not love this guy? When, when Jimmy came up, he was preaching basically like one of the main points of today's message is that we are actually designed to find our truest pleasure, purpose, and joy in him. Like if you want to be a hedonist, you have to go all the way into the heart of Jesus. Like from the manufacturer, there's like a homing beacon in us that's going boop, boop, boop. It's drawing us to the source of our truest fulfillment. And his name is Yahweh, the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Acts 17 puts it like this. You don't have to pull it up. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. God did this so that they might seek him and find him. Reach for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. A lot of times people like talk to me or, or occasionally people ask me like, or they're worried like that they have missed God's will, that they've stepped out of his will. And I'll kind of like jovially ask them like, did you wake up this morning and think, I hope I let God down today? Did you wake up this morning and think, I, I, how can I rebel against the Father best today? 
Did anyone wake up with that thought on their mind? How can I let God down today? You're wrapped up in his arms. You're in the center of his will. And if the moment you think you've stepped out of it, he's gonna send a fish, I promise you. (laughs) This is Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good pleasure. He empowers us to do this. Does that mean that we're like obedience robots? No, 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 no. We are captivated and hardwired. I literally have that word in my notes today, Jimmy, you prophet. We are hardwired to reach with our hearts towards God. Man, I really want to tell you about another encounter, but I also know we've got to be super respectful of all the people serving with the children. Suffice to say, I'm going to just tell this encounter really, really quick. I was uh, in a place where I felt really numb to the Lord, and I was in a worship service, and I, I was taken into a vision, and in stepped right in front of me in this vision was an angel dressed like a mechanic with some tools and stuff, and uh, he's like right here, and um, he's pointing at my chest, asking permission to look in it, and so like, I'm a little bit scared, but I grant him permission, and he flings open the doors of my chest like they're double doors on hinges, and he's looking inside at my heart, and now he's like peering in, and he sees something and puts his tool in there and starts working on something, and I feel things changing in me, and then he like steps back, looks at it, and like gives this like nod of approval, and, and then he looks to the side, and I know he's talking to the Lord now, and I'm like, no, tell me Jesus isn't about to step in front of me, and Son of man, standing in front of me with my heart on full display. The doors of my chest are open. And he looks in. And he's looking at the inner workings. And he, he, then he stands back up with a little grin, like an, an approving grin, and nods. And then he asks me, do you want to see mine? And I said, you know I do, Lord. And he grabs the doors of his chest and fling them open. And I see his beating red heart. And, and it, it feels as if I'm being drawn into the cavern of his chest. And his heart begins to look like a planet. And I see the entire universe inside the Son of Man. And I'm focused in on his heart that looks like this planet now. And there, there's, there, there, there are these things orbiting his heart and I'm able to zoom in and see them, and I see the faces of my children. I see my guitar, I see my wife, I see my dreams, my callings. There are these objects that are orbiting his heart, the the prophetic destinies that have been prophesied over me, like my deepest desires are all orbiting his heart. And I step back and he closes his chest and he said, your dreams are always orbiting my heart. And I was just wrecked that he knew every detail, he knew everything, every whispered prayer, everything that's ever been prophesied over me. I realized I can't outrun his love, I can't outrisk his faithfulness. He has backup plans for his backup plans for his backup plans for me. He works all things together for the good of me and you, his saints. He works them together. Guys, Psalm 56 verse eight says that you have taken into account all of my wanderings. Mm -hmm. 
Psalm 18:36 says, you widened my path before me so that my foot would not slip. The reason I said I'm swinging for the fences is with this message is because I know it's a risky one. I know that it might sound to some that I'm like preaching some casual acceptance of lukewarm devotion or that sinning against God is okay because he's got us covered. Beloved, I am not. I'm willing to risk that you might think that because it is only a love that is not changed by our behavior that changes our behavior. When we see that he never changes, it changes everything in us. Can we just stand and pray that this revelation of his love would sink deep? Lord, we love you and you love us. We thank you for that John Mark McMillan song. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, Lord, we just know that you love us so deeply. Would you cause us to know it even more? Would you show us that you've always had our back and you've always had backup plans and you're gonna continue to be faithful. Lord, I pray God that we would have faith in you, but above and beyond that we'd be resting in the faith of Jesus. That your faithfulness carries us when our faith fails. We love your goodness. We love what you're doing here. We love what you're doing in our families. We welcome even more of it. In Jesus' name, amen.